You're listening to the Corporate Expat Experience. Welcome back. I am so excited to introduce you to my guest, Vance Long. He is founder of the Skein Group. It is a privacy and security consulting firm. So Vance, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here today and I'm looking forward to it. I think this is going to be a great conversation. I'm, I'm excited to introduce my audience to you. We've had some really good conversations about your employee to entrepreneur transition, how this happened. So I'd love to hear, first of all, about the Skane Group. Tell me more about it. Well, we, uh, we were founded in 2016, and originally we were going to work with uh, public officials, but we also worked with executives and attorneys to, to work on their privacy and digital security to address their concerns. Uh, we also do work uh, pro bono with some domestic violence organizations to do the same thing for domestic violence survivors. But essentially, we do everything from basic digital hygiene, like in implementing password managers and multi-factor authentication or consulting with your BYOD policy, uh, all the way up to helping anonymize residences and vehicles. That's very cool. I'm sure you have some really interesting stories from your clients and experiences there. So can't wait to hear some of those. So as we start off, I mean, everybody has a different journey, right? The corporate expat experience is something different for everyone. And as you move from employee to entrepreneur, I'd love to talk to you about that experience. Where were you working? What was going on? And let's let's talk through that journey. Oh, wow. Uh, well, I come from it from a very different perspective. Uh, I, as not a CSO or, a, or COO, uh, I worked in executive protection. So we we had the all access pass to the, to the C-suite. And when the CEO walks in the room, everybody kind of changes their behavior because, oh, the boss is here. When, when executive protection's in there, you know, nobody pays attention. So that you get to see everybody for who they are, what their concerns are, what they're, what they're worried about. So that's a different perspective than a lot of people coming out of the executive suite. Uh, and it, it, you know, it's got its benefits. You know, we are, from day one, we have to be flexible. Our schedule comes in, this, you know, whoever, whatever executive we're with is like, here's your schedule for the day. And then you show up that morning and they're like, Two, section two is gone, number three is moved to number six, number six is moved to number one, and seven through eight are just off the table altogether. And you're like, okay. So you have to be flexible, right? Adaptable every day because you never, and, and that's the other thing is, and culture overrides policy of the CEO is like, I'm going here to eat lunch. That's where you're going. You know, there's no discussion. <laughs> so you didn't start out though in security. Where did you start out as an employee? I started out um, in, in the bar world, in the service industry. Um, many people in executive protection come from the military law enforcement background, but there are very few that come out of the, uh, the, the, the hospitality industry. And I worked for 10 years for a, um, an international bar company doing training of security all over the country. So a little different experience because you're dealing with, you're, you're not just dealing with someone walking into a corporate office, you're dealing with someone who may have been in the corporate office all day and now has had several drinks and they're a completely different person than they were at five o'clock um <laughs> also a completely different schedule from everybody else because 8 a.m on monday for for most people is your five five o'clock on friday afternoon yeah. so it can be a very different experience culturally absolutely and i mean but you were following you know a schedule you had those set employee schedules right and you were you were working for a company, an international company. So it wasn't just a small bar; it was a big company and a lot of responsibility too. 
Oh yeah, we we have you know in in that aspect we're dealing with liability issues in multiple states. So we're you know if you're a director of security, I'm still talking with legal all the time. You know, corporate you know GC and I are on you know, on speed dial. We're number one. You know, my mom is number two, and corporate you know the GC is number one on the speed dial. You know. Uh, so you, you do have that where we have this issue, we have this liability issue, and when we're having to work with with that, you know, because the, the laws are different, liquor laws are different for every single state. So you're having to adapt every time you open a new location. There could be city ordinances. It's, it could be it's it can be a lot of responsibility. Absolutely. And that's so interesting. And I want to hear, we talked about this a bit. I want to hear like what started to change. How did you start to what happened that kind of was the catalyst for your corporate or your transition? I felt that, well, I guess for me, the, the main thing that happened was as we were doing, as I was doing the executive protection, we started to see this kind of convergence between physical and digital security because they're they're not separate conversations anymore. You know, if I know where you live, that that's, you know, because it's available online, that becomes a safety issue for an executive. So when it could be someone as simple as, Oh, I'd like our CEO, the CEO of the company, to speak at our our business class on school. So I'm going to show up at the house and knock on the door, you know. Um, or it could be someone more more nefarious in mind. So uh, there wasn't really a need being served to address that overlap of physical and digital security. You know, it's like this is this is the direction we need to go to really because one of the things that we've always said is like we were like, oh, you work in executive protection, you're a bodyguard, and we're like, well. A bodyguard guards a body, an ex- executive protection agent protects an executive, whether it's physically, their time, their digitally, it's, it's, it's more robust than that. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. So, you know, you were working for the bar industry, you were working for this company. And then what happened next that kind of, like I said, the catalyst to starting to move more into forming your company? Um, I, well, I, I was working in the bar and I had a friend in New York, uh, where I was working at the time, told me that, uh, that he needed help doing executive protection. And I was like, oh, that's not really what I do. And he goes, look, it's, it's fashion week. We're overloaded. You have a suit, you're licensed in the state. Can you just give me a hand? You know, it'll be fine. And I, I went there for about a week and I got into it. And at the end of the week, the, the detail leader was like, We'd really love to bring you on full time to do to do executive protection. And I told him the same thing. Is like this isn't really what I do. And he goes, "I'm retired Secret Service. We can we can fix that." And I was like, "Okay." And then he told me how much they wanted to start out at. And I was like, "Well, I'm going to need to give notice." <laughs> and I I transitioned over. Um, and then I came back to Texas and was doing the same thing. And really got to the point where there was such a need that wasn't being served. And I was like, I can just do this on my own, you know, because nobody else is actually doing it right now and decided just to start the company and move forward. That's really cool. I mean, first of all, you, you obviously caught my attention when you said fashion week, right. (laughs) And getting to be part of that whole scene. That's amazing. And I'm sure that was kind of eye-opening too, even though you were working in New York and other international locations, kind of a, a an interesting thing to be involved in. It's, it's different to be at that side of Fashion Week because everybody's like, oh, there's so-and-so, oh, there's so-and-so. Oh. And we were at one of the one of the, the boutiques with a with a principal, and someone comes over the radio, and I was standing next to the to the security guard that was working the front door. And he said, I said, he said, they're they're trying to ask who the person is that just walked in. And he said the security manager offered about, uh, money to tell him who that person was. And I said, they're nobody. 
And so I was like, tell him on the radio, they're nobody. And he's like, okay. And he's like, the guy's like, how do you know that? And I was like, cause somebody wouldn't walk in with a two year old phone with a shattered screen pretending to be somebody. They were like, oh, okay, then we can just move on. It's that attention to detail, which kind of makes it interesting too. But fashion week is, it is work. I'm sure it is. Uh, you a have, lot going on and a lot to pay attention to and very high profile people, but also the collections and everything else that you have to be aware of in your business. Oh, and the corporate, the corporate executives in fashion, people are like, oh, it's fashion. No, I, I've seen corporate directors and walk in to a, to a room that they're getting ready to present a collection in and be like, there's dust on top of that light switch. They're like, nobody's going to notice that. And they're like, I did. Like, I get it. Okay, we should take care of that. You know, like it's the level of the level of there is is amazing. Uh, the level uh, of detail for sure, definitely. Yeah. So I love what you said about you had this realization that there's a business here, right? And yeah. there was a need. Nobody was really doing what you had in mind. Was that your driving force to become an entrepreneur to go into business for yourself? Because you could have stayed as an employee. Yeah, I think it was. I think I think. One, it was not just the, you know, there are some people that do the privacy things as well, but not specifically for the industry that I was looking at. But the other thing for me was um, the way it is done. You know, when we sat down with our corporate values as a security company, nobody comes to us for fun. If people come to security because they're concerned about something. So, you know, we, I wanted to lead, lead our interactions with clients and, and just, you know, the, our community in general with compassion. And, and that's really what defined not just what we we're doing, but how we were doing it. Because if we can't understand what our client or potential client is concerned about, we can't actually address you know, the, their concern or at least not fully address it. Absolutely. That was something interesting too. We talked about core values and, and you just mentioned you know your core values, part of your driving force in your business. That's a that's an exercise that I do with a lot of my clients or almost all my clients actually is talk about their core values, what drives them. And I know that you said that you had incorporated these into your business. They were part of the, the foundation for your business. Oh, yeah. That is the essential first step. And working, sitting at the table with, and, and I got that from, from being an executive protection when you're sitting, you're sitting at the evening dinner with the entire C-suite and their career coach and their coach is telling them, you need to do this and you need to do that. And when you say, hey, these are our company values, doing that really sets your, makes your decisions easier down the road. Because if you have a decision that you're questioning, you go back, we go back and say, is this a compassionate thing? Yes. Then that makes, which which of the two options is the most compassionate? This is the one we're going to take. Yeah, it, it answers so many questions for you when you, when you have questions. Absolutely. And wasn't that part of your driving um, force for your charity pro bono work as well? Yeah, because here, here are people, here, you know, the majority, unfortunately, are, are, are women who've left this abusive relationship. And, you know, maybe they don't have the financial status, to, but their privacy can literally put their life in danger. You know, if, if they're, they're, their partner that was being abusive finds them or locates them and you know, yes, we're doing it for executives and we're doing it for people on that end, but here's, here's a group that needs it and can't necessarily afford it, but still should have access to it. I love that you do that. It's such important work. And I, I appreciate that you do that too. It's really powerful and you can really make a difference in someone's life. So thank you for doing that too. Is, and, and that just shows you as well that business 
can be so much more and very fulfilling for you in so many different ways, not just the business at hand, but the other things that you can do with it. Well, in the business of your community, like what is best to support your, you know, we, you work here, you, you have clients here, you're generating revenue in this community. What are you giving back to that community as well? And what are you giving back to the, you know, the most exposed in that community or the, the most vulnerable in that community? What can you do for them? It's really powerful because they wouldn't be able to necessarily afford your services or even know that they had that as an option for them. So incredibly powerful. So even if they're looking into it, they could that, that could trigger their partner to go, why are you looking for this? Ah, good point. Such a good point. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, why you're so great at what you do, because you're thinking about all angles and you're being very strategic in that, even in your pro bono work and helping people. Going back to kind of, you know, being in business for yourself, what are some things that you wish you had done earlier in your business or that you had known about? Oh, um, I, I wish I'd started earlier. <laughs> I just stepped out earlier and said, I can do this now because I think so many of us go, oh yeah, that's, that's great, but I don't think I'm ready to do that. Or there, you, you get that moment with, oh, there's a business here, but maybe I'm not the person to do that. Or do I have the ability to do that? And, and having that confidence and faith in yourself to say, oh yeah, I can do this. I think the other thing that was really interesting for me was some of the, um, the resources that were out there as a small business owner to like, we, we've most of us hopefully have heard of like SCORE and some of those free resources, but uh, our local Austin branch of SCORE actually put me in touch with the public library because they're research assistants. I need to do my business plan. Well, here, speak to the public library research, the research library, and they'll take care of it. They'll get you what you need. It was an amazing program and it was a free service through the Austin Public Library. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Free service is always great, but to know that a library would do that, it had no idea. Yeah, and, and the librarians are like, this is what we went to school for. This is what we live for. Yes, let us research stuff for you. Okay, that is a golden nugget tip right there that everybody needs to pay attention to. Resources, SCORE, and the SBA, and your library. The library could be an amazing resource. That's one of the, the, one of the best things about uh, yeah, I'm sure the Dallas library has probably some similar, any, any major city library would have some kind of, is going to have a research library in there that, that may be able to figure this. It's, it was an amazing resource. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Definitely going to be using that. Well, I think, you know, and some other things we talked about, you know, is being flexible, right? I think you had mentioned to me that that was something critical for business. Oh, it's, yeah, you, you have to be, you know, like even with as an entrepreneur, now we're out of that corporate, you know, we're shifted out of the corporate corporate place, but we still have that mindset of, oh, I'm doing this eight to five hours or I need to do this now. And um, and and that shift is, I think, a, is a big jump for people to make because we, we were indoctrinated, and that's a really bad word, but we, you know, we, were, we were kind of, oh, for years, our entire career was, oh, we do this eight to five and we're at the office this time and we do this. And I think that's frightening for a lot of entrepreneurs are is that, oh, wait, I don't have to be in the office at eight o'clock. Yeah. I have this freedom, but what do I do with this freedom now? It can be, you know, it sounds great at first and then reality sets in and you don't have that same structure. And sometimes the discipline and self-discipline of getting into your routine and figuring out it takes, it took a while for me to get into that rhythm. And I felt like I was fairly disciplined, but it, it took a, a while for me too, to, to, to change that mindset. I remember leaving a meeting one time and sitting at a light going, 
and, and you normally you're like, oh, I left this meeting. I have to be at this meeting now. And right. I'm sitting at this light on my way over the meeting is like, I actually don't have to go anywhere right now. Like I can go do something else and then finish this up this afternoon. And like, and that, that was like, it was, it was, it was, it was a, a great feeling. It was also a very frightening feeling at the same time. It can be. And that can be a little overwhelming too, because you think about all these things you need to do. And then it's kind of like, what's next? You have to figure out your prioritizations. And I think there's also a misconception because of some of the books that have come out that, oh, as an entrepreneur, I only work X amount of hours a week, like four or 10. Yeah. I wouldn't, what is your experience with that? Um, no, <laughs> um, it's, it's, I, I do, I do get more work done in an eight hour period. I, I can do more work in a normal work day. Um, but that work day could be like, oh, I have to do, you know, I'm, I also may shift it where it's like, oh, I have this to do. This needs to be done on Saturday. So I'm going to take some time for myself on like Friday morning or Thursday afternoon and kind of offset that Monday through Friday mentality and give myself some space. But no, I think the the work, but but also managing the stress for, oh, this needs to be done. Oh, that needs to be done. That That is also one of the keys from that. You, you just need to go, oh, wait, this is important, but this can be done at this time and this takes priority. Yeah, that definitely managing that stress, getting your calendar under control, your schedule, even though it might be changing and you might be, I, you know, my, a friend of mine said, I still work 60 hours a week as an entrepreneur, but he said, I choose which 60 hours I want to work and he loves his work. So that's a good thing for him. Right. But I think it's that is utilizing different times, giving yourself space when you need it, as you said, really great advice. You can only go to the well so many times, like you have to replenish it. And, you know, sometimes for me, that may, you know, with the traditional like eight to five or seven, seven to six or whatever in the corporate world, six to six or, you know, in the law firm, it's, you know, it's, it's 530 to, you know, to 1030 or something sometimes. Um, but, you know, I, I might, if, like I was saying in our other conversation, sometimes I need to get up and focus on something my client is, is a new, new thing for me to work on with a client my really good creative performance hours are between like three and 5 a.m. Like I said, the Japanese call it hour of the, hours of the tiger. You know, I'm not getting distracted. There's no phone ringing. I focus on everybody's sleeping. So I feel like, oh yes, I'm ahead of the curve because everybody's still in bed and I'm already you know, an hour into work. But being able to have that flexibility in your schedule to be like, this is the best time for me to get this done. You know, that's great. That's really about knowing yourself too, and when you're most productive and, and knowing your schedule and how you work. I think that's great advice. Um, what else would you tell somebody starting a, bit, a business? What advice would you give them? Oh, I mean, the other thing that I would say is, you know, like you were saying, go back to your values first, start with that. Um, and, and don't, we have, we have a tendency to be harder on ourselves than everybody else. And a lot of times we'll say, oh, I couldn't, I could, I'd be good at that, but I don't think I could run the business doing that. Okay. Yeah, you, you can, you, you can, you can figure everything else out. You know, I, I remember uh, years ago training, we were training some, some people in, in one of the other businesses and we had several uh, women that were training the workforce after being out of it for a long time. And they're like, I couldn't be an office manager. And I said, well, you know, you, if I gave you the checkbook for the, for the office, could you write all the bills? And she was like, yes. And I was like, if I gave you the checkbook and said, okay, these three have to be paid this month. These two need to not be paid. You know, this is how much money you have. She's like, I go, could you do that? She's like, well, yes. I was like, you can be an office manager. Like, there you go. 
Yeah, I think that sometimes having that reassurance that we can do it. And sometimes I think we overcomplicate things too. Yes. Yes. I think we, we have a tendency to overcomplicate it and, and, and be harder on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. What is your favorite thing about being in business for yourself and running the skin group? Um, when I first started, my, my, the very first thing that I liked was when we started to build a team and I got to hand out paychecks. That's good. I loved being like, which we don't physically hand out. It all happens digitally, but it's like, Hey, it's payday. You know, we had the conversation with one time with someone they're like, well, the 15th is on Friday. It was on Saturday. So you know, we're not used to getting our checks until, until Monday. And I was like, no, you'll get them on Friday. And they were like, what? Like, you know, or when we told them that we, um, or we had a list of the holidays where you get time and a half or, or time off. And we told them that I remember working with the payroll company saying that I wanted to add a, an additional holiday to that, but it was going to change per employee. And I said that um, I wanted to list the, the employee's birthday as a personal holiday. Right. And they were like, my, the guy with the payroll company was like, as soon as we get off this call, I'm going down to the office and asking my boss why I don't get my birthday as a time and a half on my birthday. I love that. That's so good. That is so good. And, and it is a great feeling when you can bring somebody in, allow them to step into their light with their skills, with their, you know, getting to grow and give them that paycheck. It's a really magical thing. Oh, I, I, I ask everyone in interviews from the beginning, what, what is your goal? What do you want to do? When I first started the company, I had a, uh, we were doing a lot of more physical protections. We had a lot of veterans that were coming in. And one of my first, um, first interviews was a, a former like U.S. sniper instructor. And I said, what do you want to do? And he's like, I, I want to teach. He's like, I'm a math guy. He goes, I want to teach like calculus and trig to, to, to kids. And I was like, I was like, okay. Uh, so we did the interview and he, and uh, I sent him an email because the Austin ISD was looking for uh, math teachers and they were gonna pay for their, you know, their emergency certification and they could deduct their teaching certification out of the, uh, out of their paycheck once they got, they came on. And I sent him that, he's like, you realize I'm not gonna go to work for you now. And I was like, that's fine, but you said you wanna teach math. The kids in Austin need math teachers. I love that, that's so great. So you're so, also coaching besides being a privacy and security expert. You're also coaching people. This is fantastic. I love this. Well, and I, I came out of the coaching background for years. Uh, I, I coached high school and, and university rugby. And, you know, we, I used to tell my players all the time, like you're, you're a student athlete and they put those words in an order for a reason. You know, so if you're a struggling student in, in your grades, then you need to take time away and go focus on that. And then you come back and see me for practice. So coaching is, is also not just about like, and I've also always viewed coaching is not just like with a player, not what they're doing on the field, but what they do off the field as well is that that really takes them to a different level. Yeah. You're making me think about Ted Lasso, one of my favorite shows and now <laughs> he's not just coaching on the field, but coaching in life in general and helping people achieve their goals. So I love that. Well, I think when you're, especially when you're coaching, you know, younger, younger adults and, and children, you know, the whole point is to help them grow into someone else and, and be better. And, you know, one of my mentors was a coach used to tell me, I, I'd come in and be frustrated about something. And he, he just looked at me and said, Vance, did you do better today than you did yesterday? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, then that's really all you can do right now. And that's all we can do, right? <laughs> really be is. better today than you were, be better tomorrow than you are today. 
I love that. I, I, you know, that's a great place to, to wrap things up, but I do have any other, I mean, you already have so many words of wisdom and amazement as my constitutional law professor, Dr. Sullivan used to say, he'd end up every class with that. So for the corporate expats out there, for those who are considering transitioning from employee to entrepreneur, who've already done it, who are in our, who are our listeners today, what are your words of wisdom and amazement? Um, do it. Don't, don't second guess yourself. You, if you've got the idea and, and, and you're there, just, just go ahead. Because even if you don't, even if you're starting it while you're still working somewhere else, just get started. I love that. That's, that's the, the best thing you can do. Make that decision and get started. Thank you so much, Vance. I really appreciate this. This has been a great interview and I definitely want to have you on again, because I think there's some more really good juicy stories and words of wisdom for our corporate expat audience, but I want people to be able to find you. So tell us how, how people can get in touch with you and learn more about you and the company. Well, um, first off, uh, thank you. It's been great being here and I've had a great time. This is fun. I'd love to come back and talk some more, uh, especially because what we do is so fluid. It, you know, three months from now, it could be a completely different thing that we need to talk about. Um, but you can find us at, uh, it's the, the um, and there's a resources page for, uh, just some basic stuff that you can implement right now that won't, you know, any business owner could implement. There's also a contact sheet for us. You can find us there or just, you know, the, the numbers, everything's on the page. Fantastic. And I, and we should have talked about that. I mean, the private security is not just for executives and the high profiles, but it's also for the smaller businesses as well. Well, for doctors, we're working on a program right now. We're, we've just released one currently for attorneys because what we're seeing is, you know, attorneys are being targeted for their corp, their clients' corporate intellectual property. Doctors' offices are being targeted because their medical records are like the, you know, that's the prime data source that people are looking for. So it, doctors' offices are a small business. So they need to be protected just like everybody else. You know, so it it, could, it it doesn't matter what field you're in, small businesses or medium are increasingly targeted with this. And what are you going to do to protect the, the business that you're spending so much time and effort building? Absolutely. Now, it's so important for all of us to make sure that we're secure, that our data is secure, that we're thinking about these things, because not only are we protecting ourselves and our businesses, but our clients as well, when we pay attention to this. So it's such an important conversation. And we definitely will be talking about this in the future. We'll talk more about this because it's such a pressing topic. So thank you again, Vance. Loved having you here. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to help support this podcast, please hit subscribe, leave a rating and review, share it with others or post about it on social media. For show notes, links, to connect with guests and more, visit us at corporate-expat.com. And be sure to catch the next episode with more insights and inspiration to support your corporate expat experience. Bye for now.